Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before the throne again to worship you, to worship uh, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who is exalted above the heavens, who sits on the right hand of power as he finished the work of purification of sin and saved his people, having accomplished a perfect work and a perfect salvation and having been accepted is attested by his resurrection from the dead. And Lord, now we pray for your Holy Spirit to give us understanding to the part of the book of John, the part where the Lord met with the Samaritan woman. And Lord, may you teach us what we need to know and show us who we are that is in the Samaritan woman, the things that were in the Samaritan woman, that we can identify with ourselves as sinners and the fallen. The thirst that she had and her need for living water. And Lord, we also are thirsting. And we also are going to the wall every day, every morning, fetching water that we may try to quench our own thirst by our own effort, by our own works. But we have sin that we can never do enough to quench our own thirst unless he who brings a different kind of water a different kind of water that works at a different level the water that wells up that springs up to eternal life our Lord Jesus Christ unless he gives this water we shall forever be thirsty and so now Lord as we go into your word may you be kind to us and grant us this water also we pray and thank you in his precious name. Amen. John 4, 12 to 20. John 4, 12 to 20. We are talking still about the encounter of the Lord Jesus with the Samaritan woman. The encounter of the Lord Jesus with the Samaritan woman. And this is the middle of the conversation. We already talked about her and gave the introduction last week. We gave a profile of the Samaritan woman. And we're going to learn more about her today and what the Lord will have us understand from the conversation that he had with her. So we pick it up from John 4, 12 to 20, which reads... Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us all No. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his, and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, 
for you have had five husbands and the one whom you now have is not your husband in that you spoke truly the woman said to him say i perceive that you are a prophet our fathers worshiped on this mountain and you jews say that in jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship and we'll end there and for those who love titles we always have a lot of titles extra titles a water and a husband problem a water and a husband problem and since they are used to having more than one title the other one is a long title but is go and call your husband and come here go and call your husband go call your husband and come here the lord jesus in this part of the narrative in the book of john is on his way from judea in the south and is headed north to galilee and he has to pass through samaria because samaria is in between galilee in the north and judea in the south samaria is in between so jesus has to pass through samaria because he has an appointment with this woman the land of samaria is a land of despised people because they were considered racially inferior people it is also the land of the pagans and in the minds of the jews this is a very bad neighborhood it will be the equivalent of a bad neighborhood in our own day that would be the equivalent of a bad zip code it's a bad neighborhood with a bad zip code but jesus has to pass through this neighborhood jesus is not bound by the zip code of any area or any city or any country because salvation is not about where you grew up or where you were born or who or to whom you were born to but is all about God's sovereign election and grace in Jesus salvation has all is always been salvation has always been about God's electing grace and so Jesus comes to one of his own he has an appointment with this woman one of his elect in the land of Samaria and this is individual appointment god never serves anybody as a group he serves each individually my sheep i know my sheep by name by name 
So he calls you by your name. He calls each and everyone by their name. He doesn't serve people as a group. Like, okay, there's a mass of people. Let me just, no. He calls each by name and they hear his voice because they know the voice of the shepherd. And what we see here also is that Jesus has to come to his people. He has to come to one of his own. Why? Because even though you are chosen, you have no power in yourself to come to Christ. Christ is the one who has to make the first move to come to you. So the Samaritan woman was not looking for Jesus. The Samaritan woman was not looking for Jesus and she was not looking for salvation. She did not have Jesus on her mind. She is a woman of convenience. And if Jesus does not come for her, she is eternally a hopeless woman. But Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up at the well at the appointed time with the woman. It is God's appointed time for her to come to the well at this time. She is a woman who has a very bad CV. She has a bad resume. She is a husband snatcher. She is a man snatcher. She has had five husbands. And now she is on number six. She has successfully netted six men. And as I said last week, if Jesus does not show up, she is going to husband number 10. She is moving. She is moving. We can tell that this woman is a middle-aged woman because, one, she still has strength in herself to come and fetch water by herself. She is still able come to the well and draw water because she's drawing water from 100 feet. So you have a bucket that's full of water and you have to raise it all the way up. And she can do that by herself. And not only, only that, the fact that she is changing men like this means that she is still very attractive. She is a beautiful woman. Sister Sarah Samaritan is a beautiful woman. <laughs> and she has star power. And if she was in 21st century America, she would have her own TV show. She would have her own TV show called Five Husbands and They Live In. And they'll show the five husbands in the house <laughs> and counting. Okay, five husbands and, and counting. She is a beautiful woman who is using her beauty and power to draw men to herself. Uh, there's something that we also need to understand as we build the theology. She is living in a society that practices agriculture. And in this kind of society, which is the kind that I grew up in, 
fetching water is the first thing that you do every morning. And this is work that is done mostly by women. Women get up early in the morning and they go to the well with buckets and they fetch water and bring it home. Nothing can function without water. In this kind of society, there are two essential things that you have to have at home for a home to function. You need water and you need fire. And women mostly are the ones who do most of this work. So water is fetched first thing in the morning because all the water was used up in the evening in the cooking and the washing and everything. So there's no water. All women naturally should have their water fetched first thing in the morning. But this woman does not come in the morning. She comes later in the day because she has issues. Okay. Um, and the other thing to understand is in this kind of climate, this is very hot. The maximum temperature for the day is about midday. It's already at least 90 by 12 midday. So for her to come at 12 midday means there's something going on in her life that stops her or prevents her from coming in the early hours of the morning as everybody else. If you go into this place, or in these places, when you go before 6 o'clock, maybe before 6.30, you find a lot of women at the well. You find a lot of women at the well and not during mid midday. Okay? So this woman is not coming with the rest of the women in the morning because it's inconvenient for her. It's inconvenient for her mostly because of the sin that she has. The women of the village ostracize her. They despise her. They don't like her because of her beauty and because he has a track record of snatching men. She has to be snatching men. There's no way in this kind of culture that you are able to have as many men as she has gone through already. But then she shows part of herself as a sly woman when she tries to talk to Jesus. She obviously knows how to engage men. But this man that she speaks to is a different kind of man from the five husbands and the live-in. She now is speaking with one who is from above. She speaks with one who is above all. She speaks with this one who gives a different kind of water, a living water. This man gives water that quenches thirst at a different level. A water that cannot be drawn from the well of human effort and will. And it's a water that hydrates and quenches thirst permanently. 
So the other strange thing about Jesus being at the well is that, as I said, fetching water was mostly the chore for women. And yet you have this man who is showing up at the well and he is claiming to have some kind of water. Why are you showing up at the well? Why are you talking to me? You are here at the well and you don't have a bucket with which to fetch water with and yet you are claiming to have some kind of living water. What kind of water is it? And who are you? Why do you talk like that? So that's what we're going to see, the working out of that theology. So this woman has a problem and she has a bigger problem. And her problem is not with the women of the village. And her real problem is not that she's not getting along with the previous husbands. Her ex-husbands are only a sign and symptom of a deeper problem. Her changing man, as she has done, is telling us of a deeper problem. She has a different kind of thirst. She has a thirst for men, not just for men, but her thirst is for satisfaction. She is looking for satisfaction, but she is failing to find the satisfaction in the different kinds of men that she has had. She can't find satisfaction in anything that other thirsty men can give her. She is a sinner. That's a problem. She is a sinner and her sin finds expression in seeking satisfaction in different kinds of men. And we also are sinners. And we find expression, our sin find, finds expression in different things. We, we don't have the same propensities in what we love to do in our sin. With some people, it's one thing. And with other people, it's another thing. Some of our sins seem to be respectable in our eyes. And so we think that those whose sins are more obvious to us are worse than us. We know that because people will say, I would never do anything like that if it were me. <laughs> people who say that. I would never do that. People will say, what is wrong with those people? <laughs> or what is wrong with him? What is wrong with her? There is an underlying assumption in that statement. And the assumption is that you, the one who is saying that, you think you are immune to the kinds of things that they are doing. You think in yourself you have some goodness, the goodness of your mind, of your senses, that makes you better than them. No, that's not true. You have not enough sensibilities to stop you from sinning. You are not sensible enough to stop sinning. 
sinning needs more than sensibility. To stop yourself from sinning requires more than just being a sensible person. You need to be born again to stop sinning. You need living water to stop sinning. Left to yourself, you are worse than the Samaritan woman. Left to yourself, you would have not 10 husbands. You would have 20 husbands and a live-in. Left to yourself. In actual fact, we all have had more than 20 husbands and a live-in. In one sense or another, in one capacity or another, we have exhibited and lived the same kind that this woman was living. It is only by the grace of God that we did not stumble to hell because of our sin. As Jude would say in Jude 1, 24, is the Lord who keeps us from stumbling because he alone is able to keep you from stumbling. And not only is he able to keep you from stumbling, but he is able to present you before his presence, before his glory, with exceeding joy. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So all men and women born after the first Adam are born thirsty. The fall made us all thirsty. And so we are thirsty for everything and anything but righteousness. Sinners do not thirsty for righteousness. Sinners thirst for more sin because sin is what is consistent with our flesh. Sin is what makes the flesh happy. And so we continue to go back to our own wells of sin that we may continue to fetch more and more of our sin. That we may go there and find temporary satisfaction. And if the Lord does not show up, if the Lord does not come for us, if we are left to ourselves, if we are left to our will, we will keep going back to the well and we will die there. Our eyes are always looking for more wells of sin and our flesh keeps thirsting for more sin. But Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up and says, whoever drinks of this water, whoever keeps doing what you are doing, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. This is not just saying that this just happens when you come to Christ. This is an everlasting promise. 
to say in all of eternity, you are going to find so much satisfaction in Christ. Because someone may be thinking, well, but I chose Christ. Why am I still struggling with sin? You're still struggling with sin because you still have this body of flesh. You have to get rid of this body of flesh. This is what makes you to struggle. But when you die, you get rid of this body. And I'm telling you, you are going to feel righteous for the first time. You are going to be a righteous person, a righteous being in your thoughts and in all your deeds. But whoever continues to drink the water of their own sin will thirst again, so say Jesus. Whoever tries to quench their own sin will thirst again. Whoever tries to cover their sin by their own moral goodness will soon discover that they do not have sufficient fig leaves. They do not have sufficient water buckets of their own righteousness. But Jesus has his water that he describes as living water as against dead water that you are fetching from the well because the water is not flowing in the well. If you have a mouse that gets lost and it finds itself in there, you are fetching it. Whatever can get into that well, you're going to fetch it. <laughs> okay? You need flowing water because if it happens to get into my flowing water, it just flows away. So you want water that flows. And Jesus says he has this water that completely quenches your thirst. It hydrates and rehydrates you for heaven because you don't know where heaven is. You need to have some water that is enough to quench your thirst to get to heaven. And not only that, for all of eternity, who is going to give you the water for all of eternity if Christ does not give you a water that does not run out? And the water that Christ gives, he says, it will stop you from going back to the well. It will stop you from laboring. It will stop you from laboring in trying to be righteous in yourself. Because there's no hope in trying to be righteous. And this is even more important. You can't mix Jesus' water with your own water. You can't mix the Jesus water with your water. Jesus says, if you have truly drank from his kind of water, you will also stop fetching from your own well. If Jesus has given you the water of his righteousness, you have to find satisfaction in your acceptance in him. It's an issue of acceptance. Jesus is saying, when you come to me, everything stops here. Your trying to be good with God stops here. Your righteousness with God stops here. Your satisfaction stops here. It stops at Christ. 
And he says, you can't profess Christ and your own works for acceptance with God. You can't mix your works because you have been working. You have been coming to the world all this time. And unless Christ shows up, the water that has been fetching, all the goodness that you think you had is not sufficient. That's what Christ is saying. So the water that Christ gives is the Sabbath rest. Christ here is promising a rest. Because he says, if I give you my water, my kind of water, you are going to stop working. You are going to get rest. Why do you get rest? Because you are the young and the restless. You need Christ to give you rest. And that's what God has done. He has given you rest in the finished work of Jesus. But you have to have been to the world to understand in the physical sense of the struggle of trying to get water every day. Some people have to travel long distances to fetch water. Some a mile. I saw on National Geographic a, a month or so ago in Cambodia, this tribe, they travel 20 miles on horseback to go fetch water. The place is so cold and dry. So they travel 20 miles and they get ice and they put ice in bags and they put the ice on the back of the horses and then they bring it home and melt it. So they keep their water as ice. Imagine, every day. That's how they get their water. This is what sustains the family. You here, you just have to turn your tap. And the water starts gushing out. Continuously. So Jesus is making a distinction of you either have to keep working and going to the well yourself to find your own salvation in your own work by yourself or I will give you some kind of piped water that I will put right in your heart and that springs life from within. So the water that Christ gives it stops you from laboring. That's important. You have to rest from your laboring. And also it gives you satisfaction. Laboring and satisfaction. And we have to labor in teaching the gospel until that water starts coming out. That's why you have to continuously hear the gospel because we want the water to come out. We want you to see the kind of water that Jesus is talking about. Because once you understand what Jesus is saying, that's the only time that you will rest from trying to please God and be accepted by him. But listen to what the woman said. Verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, verse 16, Go call your husband and come here. So the woman here spoke more than she understood. She acknowledges that this water 
who completely stop her thirst. She acknowledges that fact. And if her thirst is gone, the natural outcome of that is that she will not need to come back and draw. So there are two things there. She acknowledges that her thirst is going to be gone, but not only that. Number two, she will stop laboring. She will stop laboring. She will not need to labor anymore, and she will not thirst anymore. And this is what the gospel is teaching. That if and when we come to Christ, we have to stop fetching the water of our own works. But Jesus is not yet done with her. She has to understand who Jesus is if she has to understand her problem. She cannot understand her problem if she doesn't know who Jesus is. Jesus does not give her his water without showing her her problem. Jesus does not give you his righteousness until you've understood your problem. And now it's time to settle things. The continuous coming to the well of the woman is a teaching of human inability to serve themselves. The continual coming of the woman to the world is a teaching of human inability to serve ourselves. And so Jesus tells her, tells her and says, go call your husband and come here. Jesus issues a command to override her own command. Remember, she is the one who has just instructed Jesus. She said, well, give me this water then. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You go and call your husband. So Jesus gives her three commands. He gives her three commands, three instructions. Go, that's number one. Call your husband, number two, and come here. Three instructions. So Jesus is now firmly in the driver's seat. And the woman is getting to be uneasy. Jesus is about to launder her dirty laundry in public. And the woman senses the danger from the command that Jesus has given. She's thinking, what is this man up to now? He is looking into my stuff. What is wrong with him? But Sister Sarah Samaritan is a fast-thinking lady. And so she tries to divert the conversation. She attempts to change the topic that Jesus is introducing. But is it a new topic? Because she thinks that Jesus is bringing a new topic. But is it a new topic? No, it is not a new topic. Jesus is now applying his teaching of thirst into her context. She 
has to make a discovery of herself and who Jesus is. It is not about water after all. It's not about water. It is about her sinful condition and the dissatisfaction that sin brings to the fallen. So Jesus says, let's bring this understanding closer home. Let me do a little investigation into your life and I'll show you some things. Go call your husband. <laughs> Go call your husband. And the woman tries to diffuse the grenade that Jesus is about to diffuse. The woman said to Jesus in verse 17, I have no husband. I have no husband, Jesus. Can we stop it there? Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. Now, the woman is totally humbled by this revelation. Jesus has reached for the unreachable and has revealed the deep secrets of her life and her heart. And remember, Jesus, we've been told ab about Jesus by Apostle Paul, uh, sorry, by Apostle John in John 2, 24-25. This is what Apostle John said. But Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them. For he knew all men and because he did not need anyone to testify concerning men. For he himself knew what was in man. So this is the application of that statement. Jesus continues to reveal the secrets of man because he is God. Jesus knows that she has no husband and he tells her how many husbands she has had and what is going on in her own house. Jesus says, not only do you not have a husband, but you have had five marriages. You have had five husbands and guess what? You are currently not married to the one that you live with. But Jesus applauds her. Jesus does not condemn her. He applauds her for being truthful in the sight of God and commends her for her truthfulness in her confession. In her confession. Her confession was simply, I have no husband. And Jesus says, in that you spoke truly. Very important. In your confession that you have no husband, you have been truthful. That you have spoken truthfully, which means she has always lied. But this time, when she meets this one, she makes the right confession. And the Greek word that is translated as confession is homologia. You don't have to remember that. But it's easy. It's homo means same. 
and logia is logos is making the same confession as to confess means to say the same thing as someone is to agree so sister becca and i if we agree we make the confession that nilia's name is nilia and if becca says yes and i say yes it means we are saying the same words we are agreeing so when the woman makes a confession she is agreeing with jesus about the truthfulness of her own condition so when god says you are a sinner and he say yes lord that's the confession you are making a confession and agreeing with what god is saying about you that which is true about you and this is a good testimony to hear from jesus if jesus would come and say in that you spoke truly imagine that coming from the lips of the son of god and say sister becca in that you spoke truthfully that's a huge testimony coming from the son of god so the issue to jesus was not that she had five husbands too many and a live in but that she confessed and acknowledged her sin in the face of jesus very important in our understanding of repentance and confession and faith you can't hide your sin from him you have to confess your sin to christ if christ is going to be of any help and it is usually the worst of sinners who find grace in the face of the lord because the lord gives them the grace to confess their sins remember the teaching of the tax collector and the pharisee the tax collector he made a confession of his sin as an unrighteous man and we are told by jesus that that man went home justified and he was justified for making a truthful confession of the condition of his own heart and said lord have mercy on me a sinner that was the confession and jesus says that's how you get justified so this woman gives a confession that you also should seek to make before Jesus and by saying she has no husband she was saying i have no one who has been able to satisfy me i have no one who has been able to speak to my deepest need as a woman but even more importantly as a sinner so this woman has been changing men like socks because she was looking for a perfect husband but there's no perfect husband to be had from the mass of fallen sinful men 
There's no perfect husband to be found in this wilderness of sin and darkness. And if a good husband is to be found, he has to come from outside this world. And this good husband is the good shepherd of the sheep. He seeks out for his own that are lost. And he fetches and gives them the living water. And Jesus is the husband. Jesus is the husband that you have been seeking for. Jesus is the husband that the Samaritan woman was seeking for. Jesus is the perfect man. And this is why Jesus shows up as number seven. The woman has had five husbands. She has number six. Jesus shows up as number seven. And in the Hebrew, seven is the number of perfection. So Jesus comes and says, I am the husband that you've been looking for. I am your perfect man. The Samaritan woman, on account of what Jesus has said, on account of the discovery that Jesus is making of her life, she comes and she tries to argue that she may divert attention from the subject matter. So in verse 19, she says, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus is opening a can of worms. She thinks Jesus is not being careful. She thinks Jesus is out of control. Jesus, let's not talk about me. Let's not talk about me, Jesus. That is not a nice subject to bring. We have to change it real quick. But listen to what the woman said. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. There is now a change. Initially, when the woman spoke to Jesus, she said, why is it that you, being a Jew, is talking to me, a Samaritan? He was a Jew at the beginning. And then she addressed him as sir. Now, it's getting better. This sir is now a prophet. So, the profile of Jesus is increasing. It's getting better in her eyes. And we are going to see it continue to increase right to the end until she makes a complete discovery of who Jesus is. And that is the purpose of teaching you the truth. It's so that the profile of Jesus in your mind, in your understanding, in your heart continues to get better and better and better until the full stature of Christ is formed in you. The woman says, yes, I perceive that you are a prophet, but let us not talk about me and my issues and my life. Leave my business alone. Let us go 
onto Facebook. Uh, there's a lot of theology on Facebook. A lot of people arguing. So she said, let's go on Facebook and argue theology from there. That should be good for us. And we can settle a lot of things there, but don't talk about me. The biggest problem here, Jesus, is not my many husbands, but it is that you Jews have this worship thing all wrong. But since you are a prophet, help me not with my sin, but with settling all these other theological disputes that I have in my life. Help me here. If it were in the context of where we are, she would be like, okay, Jesus, which party is better, the Democrats or the Republicans? Let's not talk about my sin. Let's talk about politics. Which party should I vote for? Should I vote Republican or Democrat? Let us discuss that. Not my husband's. Not my living. But Jesus turns the heat on, on her. He is putting her in a corner because he has to get her and so he has to speak to her in a way that she hears, in a way that reveals her desperation, her hopelessness, and her sinfulness. But she says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So her argument is, our fathers worshipped on Mount Gerasim, and so we have a true and long tradition of worshipping God on this mountain, but you Jews, you heretics, say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So she is masterful and knows her game. And we too, we know our game. We are the Samaritan woman. And this is how we all try to deal with Jesus when he confronts us with this truth. But Jesus is the master physician. He is diagnosing the woman's problem and he is also offering a solution. But not only that, he is also humbling the woman to the ground so that she can engage and talk to Jesus under the correct and proper relationship with him. She has to engage Jesus as the savior of the world. And she has to realize and make a confession that she is a sinner who is not able to even quench her own thirst. She is a sinner who is not able to pay for her own sins. She is a sinner who is condemned. And so when we teach men that they need to be humbled so that they can hear what the Lord is teaching them and his word, they are quick to run to what about me? They are quick to run to argue. What about my responsibility? Your responsibility is that you are a sinner who is constantly fetching water from a well 
that does not satisfy thirst. You are responsible for the many husbands that you have had. You are responsible for your sin. But we have to have a proper conversation with Jesus. If we have to structure the conversation correctly. For you and me, we talk about our many husbands. We talk about our own sin. But when we talk about Jesus, we talk about the water that he gives and the everlasting righteousness that he gives. And my brothers and sisters, do not rush to change the subject before you have laid hold on what Christ is teaching you. Do not be quick to run to do things for Jesus before you have understood what God is saying about Jesus in his gospel. It is not enough to say Jesus died for me. And then take off running and start doing your own things so as to seek security in your own works. You need to constantly hear about what Christ has done and him as your only righteousness and your only hope. People ask, what is my responsibility as a Christian? Your biggest responsibility as a Christian is to hear what Christ has done for you. To hear that and to believe that. And not what you do for Christ. And remember, Jesus did not even drink the water of the Samaritan woman. And as we are going to find out later in the chapter... He did not even eat the bread that the disciples brought him. Why? Because the teaching is Jesus is your bread. He is your bread from heaven. And he is your water. He is your satisfaction. He is the one who gives you righteousness. You do not give anything to Jesus. You are not giving anything to Christ for your own satisfaction. But your satisfaction comes from what Christ has given and is giving through the gospel and the working of the Holy Spirit. You and I are the ones who are hungry and thirsty. We are the ones who are hungry and thirsty. And Jesus says his food is to do the will of his Father. Jesus does not need your water, and certainly does not need your bread. We need his bread. We need Jesus' water. We need the living water. So what I tell people is, when you come to Christ, before you start running around and making a mess of yourself, sit down and know what Jesus has done. Really take time because your eternity rests on it. Sit down and find what Christ has done for you. Because if you don't do that, you are going to find yourself back at the well fetching water again. And you are going to find yourself digging up new wells, new things to do. 
But the honest truth is that there's no satisfaction in any well that you dig until you rest in what Jesus has done for you in his life, death, and resurrection. The water that Jesus gives is the complete gospel. It has sanctified you. It has justified you. And it will glorify you. And you need not add anything to it. You need not go back to the well to fetch more water that God may accept you. You are already accepted and completely justified in Christ. You are a free person, but we have a tendency to bring ourselves under bondage because our natural tendency is to want to fetch water for ourselves. But when we encounter Jesus, something is going to happen. When you encounter Jesus, when you encounter the true Jesus at the well, something is going to happen. Remember, at the beginning of the story, Jesus has invited the woman to ask Jesus who he is so that on that account, Jesus may give her his kind of water. But before she discovers who Jesus is, she also has to discover who she is in the face of Jesus. So there are two discoveries to be had. And this is something that is unknown to sinners and many people who come to Christ. When you come to find out who Christ is for the first time, you also have to discover who you are and what your problem is. The Samaritan woman discovers herself in the process of knowing Jesus. And you too cannot know yourself unless you discover more about Jesus. But when people are discovered and are exposed by the gospel for who they truly are, they feel very inadequate in themselves. And so they try to change the subject of their lives like the Samaritan woman did. They sound like they are hearing the gospel, but they are busy trying to find some ways to change the subject to something they think they have knowledge or ability to do. They continue to behave like they can find some pocket of goodness in themselves somewhere that Jesus is not aware of. So the natural consequence when you hear the gospel, the gospel has to make you inadequate. The gospel has to make you inadequate in yourself. If you meet the true Jesus at the well, he has to make sure that he makes you feel inadequate. You have to feel your need for Jesus. But what you see when people have encountered the true Jesus, when people have been discovered by the true Jesus and the true gospel, they are quick to want to find something else to do. They want to do something so that they may cover their inadequacy in the face of the gospel. Because for the first time, they are learning that they are insufficient in themselves. They are finding that, oh, wow, 
I haven't been doing enough. So what am I going to do? Do I run to Christ or do I actually get up my loins and start working? So the natural tendency for a lot of people is they don't run to Christ. They run back to themselves and then they start working. They start working so hard. And then at the end of it, they find themselves with not enough payment that they have made by their works. So many of the programs that professing Christians get entangled in come not from their love for Jesus. A lot of the programs that you find in the church are not coming from people's love for Jesus. But they are coming from men's attempt to run away from encountering the Jesus who is discovering and exposing them. So instead of trusting in Jesus, they still want to find something that they have to do themselves. They still want to go back to their own well. And Jesus is still not sufficient for them. Being inadequate, when you come to Christ and you are struggling for righteousness, that's a sign that you are hearing from the true Jesus. Because if Jesus talks to you, he has to show you that you are inadequate. And this does not just happen one day. It happens all the way until you make it to glory. He has to continuously remind you. So it's not a bad thing to feel that you are inadequate. It's not a bad thing to feel your inadequacy in the face of Christ. You have to feel inadequate that Christ may be the only sufficient for you. And if Jesus is not your perfect husband, there's nothing that can be done to help you. If Jesus is not your perfect husband, if the gospel of God's grace and justification by faith alone in Christ alone cannot satisfy you, then there is nothing that can be done to help you. We have to understand that. Many Christians get frustrated in their walk. Why? Because they see the inadequacy that they feel when they hear the true gospel to say, oh, that means I have to keep working. No, that is saying quit working. If you're feeling insufficient in the face of Jesus, that is saying quit working and run to him. Quit working and run to him. He will give you the living water. And if you are in Christ, this is what God says to you. This is from Ecclesiastes 9-7. If you are in Christ, this is what God says to you. Ecclesiastes 9-7. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already accepted your works. God has already accepted your works. God has already accepted your works in the perfect husband. God has accepted you in the perfect works of Christ because they were done for you and in your place. 
So God says, go and live your life without confusion. Don't create unnecessary confusion for you trying to make God happy. God has already accepted you. He says, live your life with a merry heart because you have nothing to fear. Because you are not condemned. Christ has redeemed you completely and God has accepted it. But this problem, like I said as we close, is not just a story of the Samaritan woman. This is not a Samaritan woman problem. It is the problem of all men who are the fallen. We are all the Samaritan woman. This is a spiritual principle of sin. This is teaching you of the incessant demands of sin on your life and the dissatisfaction that it brings. You keep working and you keep working, but you never find satisfaction. But also, it also is teaching us the unbendable requirements of God's law that if you keep working and working and working, trying to please God, it cannot be done. It's impossible. Someone has to come and give you what the law requires. Someone has to come and give you what God requires. Anything that is not Jesus. Anything that you do for acceptance by God that is not Jesus is like fetching water from Jacob's well. It does not quench thirst. Though we may expand effort to get the water from it, the more effort we expand, the more that we see we're not getting better. We may get temporary satisfaction in our achievements, in our relations, in our everything. There are people who get satisfaction of salvation in the fact that they're married or they have a good marriage or they have been doing well at work and they relate that to salvation somehow. That's not true. Salvation only has to do with what Christ did. Nothing else. It's all about what Christ did. And because it's all about what Christ did, the command that he issues to each and every person is go call your husband and come here. Go call your husband and come back to Christ. That instruction is given to cause you to make a confession of who you are. To say, yes, Lord, I'm a sinner. Yes, Lord, I'm a sinner. And Jesus to that would say, in this, you have truly spoken. In this, you have truly spoken. So Jesus is revealing our sin and at the same time, he is offering us that which we need desperately, the everlasting righteousness. You have to write this anywhere that you can write the everlasting righteousness. 
when you read the story of the Samaritan woman, at the heart of it, this is what God is teaching you. The theology here is of salvation, whether it's going to be by works or by grace. That is what is being taught. It's not about the five husbands. It's not about the living. It's about how you get eternal life. It's how you get a standing with God, being the person that you are. But Jesus says, I will give you the gift of living water that springs to eternal life. That is grace, grace, and more grace. But sinful men say, we have to work it. They have to bring to the world their own tools. They have to bring their own buckets, their own containers to draw, to draw with. And guess what? They have to come in the heat of the day, every day, to work their own salvation with their own hands. Or they can get living water from Christ. Works righteousness can never fulfill the righteousness of God. Righteousness has to be given as a gift. And this is why Jesus, listen to this. This is why Jesus did not bring anything to draw with. Jesus did not have a bucket. And yet, he talked about giving water. Jesus did not bring anything to draw water with because he knows salvation is only by grace. You can't fetch righteousness and life with your own bucket. It has to be given. In Christ Jesus. Go call your husband and come here. That's the command of the Lord. Let's go before him in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne again. Uh, Lord, we honor you and we praise you for your goodness and your kindness towards us in Christ. In that you were so gracious in spite of our many sins that would have condemned us to hell. And rightly so. And yet, our Lord Jesus Christ came in the flesh and he did all that which we could not do and he gave us a water, a living water, a water from his well, a water that is not fetched by water buckets, a living water that springs up to eternal life. And Lord, we pray that you also would give us this water. May you cause us to ask you for this water. That we may stop fetching. That we may stop laboring for our acceptance by you. Lord, we honor you and thank you for your goodness and your mercy towards us in Christ. May you be with your people now. May you be with all who shall listen to all this teaching. May you grant ears spiritual ears to hear that they may know that there's only one well from which life can be had, the water that Jesus gives. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.